Judges chapter 9 again in the reading of the scripture for the message this morning. Judges chapter 9. And taking our text again, verse 7 through verse 21. And beginning at verse 7. And when they told it to Jotham, that is this terrible thing of the, the assembly of, the assemblage of the men of Shechem to appoint Abimelech as their king. They told it to Jotham, and he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim, lifted up his voice, and cried, and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, Reign over us. The olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness? Wherewith by me they honor God and men? And go to be promoted over the trees? So the tree said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. And the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. The vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely in that ye made Abimelech king, and if ye have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done unto him according to the deservings of his hands, and then there is this parenthetical, for my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And ye are risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons, threescore and ten persons, upon one stone and have made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and dwelt there for the fear of Bimelech, his brother. Stand with me again, please, before the message. We'll sing together number 397.
Father of mercies and thy word, what endless glory shines forever be thy name adored. Is here the tree of knowledge grow and Jotham's Fable Subtitle The Republic of Trees On last Lord's Day we'd begun our study together of this portion of Judges chapter 9 verse 7 through 21 As you know Excuse me, I spent most of our time together reviewing the background history that brought Israel to this scene. And after supplying that background setting, I spent I fear rather too long in the consideration of the general subject of fables versus parables. While many of you may have gleaned very little from those rather academic considerations, I did promise that the value of it would be made more clear as we move forward in our studies of this passage. In this second message on Jotham's fable, I would desire that today we may move slowly, deliberately, and expositionally through the wording of this Holy Spirit-inspired fable. I said this Holy Spirit-inspired fable. This is not the fruit of literary genius. This is the fruit of divine inspiration. I would remind you again of the power and wisdom of our God in employing this mechanism, this tool, this fable. 
by its use, as I showed you on last week, from the words of one Hebrew scholar. By the use of this fable, the truth is driven home to the heart as the arrow flies to the target with such speed and skill that the mind has no time to prejudice itself against it. What a genius tool for our God to use on this occasion. We have, we sitting here have the advantage of having a written copy and the advantage of time to examine it. Examine it to our soul's advantage. But remember, these men of Shechem here in our text had no such arrangements. Jotham stepped out on the ledge of Mount Gerizim and like a hand appearing on the wall of Belshazzar's palace in Daniel 5, this appearance, this sudden and unexpected appearance, this voice filled with God's Holy Spirit, smote every riotous heart in that valley into a mind-numbing silence. And the words of this fable rushed down like so many shocking waves over the souls of these unsuspecting rebels. Oh, I wish, I wish on this occasion as I have on many other occasions before you, I wish I had the words, I wish I had the talent, I wish I had the linguistic skill to convey to your heart this morning the sobering, yea, stunning effect of Jotham's recitation here in the ears of this valley full of rebels. But now, as I've said, we have the blessed privilege sitting here to hold a copy of it in our hands and to ruminate with holy reflection on every morsel of its glorious content. I give you this morning this divine disclosure I give you this morning the Republic of Trees. Verse 8 says, The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. The trees went forth on a time. Now, I would first point your heart to the fact that in that verse, the words on a time are in italics, which means, of course, (coughs) that they have been supplied. They were not in the original. There's been much discussion among scholars why the King James translators felt the need to say that at all. But they did. And I would suggest to you that it is helpful to our hearts because it causes us to be pressed up to the question what time? The trees went forth on a time. On what time? (laughs) Well, Let me suggest a couple of things. Number one, it was not the first time. (laughs) When the trees went forth on a time, it was not the first time. Because in chapter 8 and verse 22, we see it 
Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule thou over us. This was not the first time. When we find the scene unfolding in chapter 9 of Abimelech and the men of Shechem, this was not the first time they have sought for a king. So what time was it? Well, it wasn't the first time. And number two, it wouldn't be the last time. <laughs> it wasn't the last time, whatever time it was. Because over and over and over again, Israel grows weary to have Jehovah reign over them until at last God sends Saul, a man like unto them, to reign over them, 1 Samuel chapter 15. So it wasn't the first time, and it wouldn't be the last time. So what time was it? Well, I'll tell you what kind of time it was. It was a disobedient time. Oh, it was a disobedient time. That was the time that it was. It was a disobedient time. It was a time when this men of Shechem and Israel in general had no regard for the law of God, didn't care what it said. I suggest to you it was a degenerate time. Morally, spiritually, civically, it was a degenerate time. I suggest to you it was a carnal and ungrateful time. <laughs> of course, the very fable itself, and Jotham will take that subject up later, it was an ungrateful time when men had no gratitude. I suggest to you it was a desecrating time. They have come to a place where they had no qualms about publicly desecrating the worship of God and the will of God. Does any of this sound familiar to you? I suggest we're on a time. He said, he said the trees in verse 8, the trees came, verse 8, the trees went forth on a time to anoint a king. And I want to say to you this morning, it is always in just such a time a time like this, a time, a disobedient time, a degenerate time, a carnal and ungrateful time, a desecrating time. It's always at just such a time as this that men's rebellious hearts will seek another king besides God. This kind of time. Oh, I think the King James translators opened to our heart a great vista, great window when they supplied these words on a time. It's just such times as this that men will seek to establish officially some other God besides the God of this Bible. So verse 8 tells us that the trees... And of course in this story, the trees represent all that fallen forest of unregenerate amalgam, the men of Shechem. The trees went out, verse 8 tells us, went forth, went forth at this time, to seek a king. Verse 8. The trees went forth on a time. To anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree. Reign over us. So the trees go forth. On this time. 
And first they go to the olive tree. Oh, here, here is the best tree among all the good trees. The olive tree. Dr. Gill said that it was, it was a fit emblem of a good man. Endowed with excellent virtues and qualifications for good. As King David of Israel, who is, by the way, compared to just such a tree in Psalm 70 and verse 8. But it may be better applied, says Gill, to Gideon. As an excellent good man, full of the fruits of righteousness and eminently useful to whom kingly government was offered and was refused. And the men of Shechem could scarcely fail of thinking of him and applying it to him as Jotham was delivering his fable. The trees went, they said, to the olive tree. And Gil said they could not have missed the clarity and this symbolism that he spoke of Gideon. Oh yes, it is the all of this good tree, our verse tells us, that honors both man and God. In verse 9, But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith my by me they honor God and men. Yes, it is with the oil of the olive tree that both man and God is honored. Oh yes, it's all honors God in its use in the many offerings in Israel's worship. I'll give you only one example, Leviticus 2, 1 through 16. This all is used in the offerings of the worship of God. And so it honors God and it honors man in its solemn anointing for kings. Not only in its excellent use for food does it honor men, but also in its use as anointing all for kings and priests and prophets. For Samuel 16, 12 and 13. First Kings 19 and 16, Psalms 89, 21, and other places, this oil is used for honor, for the honor of anointing, and so it honors man and it honors God. Whether in the solemnity of sacred ceremony or in the healthful consumption into their bodies, this is the best of trees. Because it has the best of fruits. A little wonder, little wonder that the Republic of Trees sought to set this tree over its arborous government. But wait. Surely none in this valley on that day could doubt this fable's reference here to that most blessed Gideon. That tree, Gideon, that tree from whose bowers great rivers of oil flowed down to Israel. Oh, surely from his hand there was the oil of gladness poured out on a scene of sorrow. Surely in this blessed tree of Gideon, the oil of liberty was poured out on a scene of slavery. In Gideon, the oil of peace was poured out on a scene of turmoil. The oil of abundance was poured out on a scene of famine. The oil of hope 
was poured out on a scene of despair. The oil of light, God's light, was poured out on a scene of pagan darkness. Oh, I'm just telling you that rivers of all, rivers of all have flowed out from this tree, Gideon. And so the trees went forth and said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But in our fable, what is the olive tree's response? Verse 9. Should I leave my fatness? Wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? <laughs> in short, no. No, never. Chapter 8 and verse 23, we see that response. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. I will not. No, no, never, never. I will not do it. By the way, if you have a good old King James Bible, and I hope you do. If you don't, I hope you get one that has the marginal readings. That reading expands, if you'll note. There's a little notation there at go to be promoted. <laughs> There's a marginal reading go up and down for. It literally translates to float, to wander up and down. Bush tells us in his studies, he says our rendering of promoted comes far short of giving the exact force of the Hebrew here. He said the original word properly signifies to move to and fro. To wander, to stagger, to be shaken and tossed. This interpretation gives a more lively image of the perils, the cares, the vicissitudes of government, especially governing among a turbulent and fractory people, refractory people. Put it in your Bible if you don't have it. To wander. To float over. To stagger. Says the olive tree, Would you have me leave my usefulness? That fruitfulness. And be uprooted to go and do no more than move up and down among you. Would you have me do that? <laughs> Says the olive tree in my words, it is much more preferred to be useful than to be great. Oh, I hope you young people, I was talking about to you and talking to you a while ago. I hope you learn this. I hope you learn this. I hope you learn this. Go and learn a lesson from the olive tree in the Republic of Trees in this great fable. It's more important to be useful than to be great. Oh, should I leave my fatness? <laughs> the word is literally translated anointing. Should I leave my anointing where I'm fat in the service of God? To move, wander, float about among you? 
Absolutely not. Gill said, suggesting that it was unreasonable, at least not eligible to a good man to desert a private situation in life to which he was called of God and in which he acted with honor and usefulness, with much care and trouble, and with neglect of private affairs, and with the loss of much personal peace and comfort, why should he remove? So the olive tree says, never, never will I do it. I'll not leave my place of fatness, producing this glorious fruit that honors God and man to go and wander to and fro among you. So then the Republic of Trees failing in that, turned to the fig tree. Though it may not claim a full equality with the olive tree, it is nevertheless truly filled, we see in verse 10 and 11, with sweetness and good fruit. Oh yes, surely here would be a good king for the Republic of Trees the fig tree and so he says the tree said verse 10 to the fig tree come thou and reign over us but the fig tree said unto them should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit to go and wander to and fro among you again over you the word sweetness, that's a blessed word in the Hebrew. I studied out. It's only used five times in all the Old Testament. It means to suck out and cherish. What a good definition. What a good translation. Sweetness. How that word sweetness embodies the concept of to suck out and Cherish. And then the word good fruit. What an amazing word there. Good fruit. The root of that word literally is the word for the umbilical cord. It is the center and source of strength. But of course it is. The umbilical cord is the center. And source of strength for the dependent child. So says the fig tree, why should I leave my production of that that you may suck out and cherish? Why would I lay down the production of good fruit and umbilical cord to your provision? Why would I ever leave all of that and lay it down to come and wander over you? This, this, in the hearts of these vile Shikamites cannot help but be seen as those sons of Gideon whom their carnal hearts had sought out before. Here in the Republic of Trees are the sons of Gideon. And so then what says the fig tree back to the trees of the forest? Verse 11. Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go and float over the trees? <laughs> Should I be uprooted and destroy all the fruitfulness of my life just to float up and down over you? Rhetorical question, of course. So then, what next in our stirring fable? 
all the sad and foolish republic of trees. Remember now, remember from verse 4, these are light and vain men. The sad and foolish republic of trees now turns to the vine in verse 12. Then said the trees to the vine, Come thou and reign over us. This of course can be nothing other than the calling of the now, calling out now of the sons of Gideon's sons. You remember he spoke of them in chapter 8 and verse 22. He said, My sons will not reign over thee, neither my sons' sons. Now we're down to the vine in this blessed fable. So what says the vine to the tree? Verse 13. Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go and float over the trees to and fro? Oh, oh, says the vine, my wine, my wine, my wine. Should I leave off making wine so cheerful to God and man? The word wine here is literally translated squeezed out. And yes, it is acceptable to God. Numbers 15. And verse 7. And it is blessed to man. Psalm 104 and verse 15. It is a gift to God and a tonic to man. Oh, what immense usefulness is in the wine. And should the vine uproot to float and wander among trees of the forest? No, no, no. Never, never, never. No, says the vine. No, says the vine. My fruit is cheerful to God and to man. Should I be uprooted to float over you. No. So then, now, notice now, one and all, all, verse 14, then said all the trees to the bramble, come thou and reign over us. Come thou and reign over us. Now, one and all of these, one and all of these eminent, eminently useful trees have categorically refused this call and denied their willingness to partake in such folly. So they turn. To the bramble. Kyle and Delish summarize it all in these words, that is, these former useful trees and the bramble. He says, All figs and wine were the most valuable productions of the land of Canaan, whereas the briar was good for nothing but to burn. The noble fruit trees would not tear themselves from the soil in which they had been planted and had borne fruit to soar, to float above the trees. Not merely to rule over the trees, but this includes the idea of restlessness and insecurity of existence, this word. The explanation given in one old Bible, he quotes and says, we have here what it is to be a king, to reign or to be lord over many others. Namely, very frequently to do nothing less than float about in such restlessness and destruction of thought, feelings, and desires that very little good or sweet fruit 
ever falls to the ground from them. <laughs> my, my, what a description that is of our rulers. If not a truth without exception, so far as royalty is concerned, it is at all events perfectly true in relation to what Abimelech aimed at and attained to be king by the will of people, of the people and not by the grace of God. To be king by the will of the people and not by the grace of God. Wherever the Lord does not found the monarchy, or the king himself does not lay the foundations of his government in God and the grace of God. He is never anything but a tree moving about among other trees without a firm root in fruitful soil, utterly unable to bear fruit to the glory of God and the good of men. I would say that again to your heart. You may apply it to our day. Anywhere, says Colin DeLeach, the Lord does not found the monarchy or the king does not lay the foundation of his government in God. He is never anything but a tree moving among other trees without a firm root in a fruitful soil and utterly unable to bear fruit to the glory of God and the good of men. These blessed fruits. Well, the Bible often speaks of them. I was going to read it. I won't read it. You look it for yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 8. Habakkuk 3 and verse 17. The scripture often speaks of these fruits. All in a sentence. All in a sentence. The fig. The olive. The vine. So the representatives for the republic of these trees have met and met with wholesale failure. And now their emotions run high, yes, even to a fever pitch. And in their desperation, they turn to the bramble in verse 14. Oh, <laughs> here is the masterful use of irony in the inspired page. They, the republic of trees has turned to a bramble which isn't even a tree. <laughs> oh, let me tell you something. Such is the hopelessness. Such is the desperation of the fallen heart that it will turn to anything to keep from turning to God. It will turn to anything. And now the republic of trees is trying to set a bramble over them which is not a tree at all. And certainly incapable of any fruit worthy of the name. Well, this word bramble, again, I hope you have the marginal note there in your King James Bible. This word bramble is the word thistle. And it's used only in the book of Judges and only in this chapter in all of the Bible. Thistle. It's a thistle. It literally translates to pierce. Piercing, said Dr. Gill, Piercing they could not, uh, sorry, perceiving 
perceiving they could not prevail upon any of the useful and fruitful trees to take the government of them, they unite in a request to the bramble, scarce to be called a tree, and however, a very barren and fruitless vegetable it is, hurtful and distressing. This, he says, respects Abimelech, represents Abimelech, and describes him as a mean person. The son of a concubine is having no goodness in him, not any good qualifications to recommend him to government, but all the reverse, cruel, tyranny, oppressive, and this opposes fully of the Shechemites and their eagerness to have a king at any rate though ever so mean and despicable, useless and pernicious, they will have a king at any at any cost. So he turns to the bramble, verse 14. Then said all the trees to the bramble. So what says the bramble in this Wonderful fable. What says the bramble to this lofty proposal? Trees asking a bramble to rule over it. What says the bramble? Verse 15. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, and if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Gil says, promising protection to them, promising protection to them as his subjects, requiring their confidence in him and boasting of the good that they would receive from him as is common with wicked princes at their first entering into office. But alas, what shadow of protection can there be in a bramble? If a man attempts to put himself under it for shelter, he will find that it will be no use to him for shelter, but rather hurtful, since the nearer and closer he comes to it, the more he will be scratched and torn by. And further, that if they did not heartily submit to his government and put confidence in him and prove faithful to him, they should smart for it, feel his wrath and vengeance, even the greatest men among them comparable to the cedars of Lebanon. Do or fires being put to them as weak as they are and placed under the tallest and strongest cedars, it will soon fetch them down to the ground. And the words of the Bramble or Abimelech proved true to the Shechemites. He's made to speak in this parable the truth. Bush said that this thorn is a proper emblem of this base-born, impious, cruel, and oppressive man, Abimelech. Another said, the words of the briar, trust in my shadow, seek refuge there, contain a deep irony, the truth of which the Shechemites were very soon to discover. And if not, he said, if you do not find the protection you expect, Fire will go out of the briar and consume the cedars of Lebanon. The largest and noble trees, thorns easily catch fire. The most insignificant, listen now, the most insignificant and worthless man can be a cause of harm to the mightiest and most distinguished. The least, most insignificant and worthless of man 
can be the cause of harm to the mightiest and most distinguished. Oh, what a contrast is this bramble to what a great king should be. This, said Matthew Henry, he described this appointing, this appointment as being folly set up in great dignity. Folly set up in great dignity. Don't we see that everywhere in our government? Don't we see that everywhere in our government? Folly set up in great dignity. Which, by the way, is an expression you've removed from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 6. Here in Isaiah 32, here is the pattern of a good king. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. That's what a king ought to be like. They seek a thorn bush. This fable inspired of God reveals what we shall later see in the record, what comes of a bramble ruling over trees. Simeon said, here is a prophetic portrayal of just what these Shechemites need to expect. Simeon said, the first moment of his advancement he gave an evidence of his atrocity and his sure pledge of his villainy and tyranny. This is a noisy demagogue who deprecates and defames others only to more effectually exalt himself. The bramble, someone else put it this way, begins with a curse and ends with a flame. Hmm. Oh, says the bramble, I'll burn down the very cities of Lebanon if you fail in your loyalty to me. And he told him so. Someone has well said, you young people again this morning, I didn't mean to be preaching to you all day today. But you listen to these words. Someone has well said, there can be no real lasting friendship between bad men. They are incapable of love. The bonds of interest and of some common evil purpose may bind them together for a while. But the shifting of these interests bursts those bonds asunder and real hatred succeeds that seeming love. Unscrupulous ambition may co coalesce with base ingratitude, but it's only for a moment. The only real and lasting union is that of love in Christ Jesus. And here is the security of the church of God. The divers instruments of the powers of darkness may combine against her and harm her for a moment, but they have no principle of cohesion in them. Hallelujah. Blessed be God. They may coalesce together to come against the people of God together, but they will not stick together. There's nothing to bind bad men together. Mm. Comrades in evil doing, 
but not a bone of loyalty among them. Comrades in evil doing, but not a bone of loyalty among them. Dear old Rogers in 1625 in his blessed old English put it all like this. So, he said, who are nearer joined together than these? Yet there cometh a time of peeling one another wherein they cry out, Oh, we are undone. Woe to us that ever we were linked in confederacy together. Who greater friends? He gets very personal in his preaching. That's one thing I love about Rogers. He gets very personal in his preaching. His is not a commentary. His is sermons. He says, who greater friends than the wicked when they conspire together against goodness and good men? But when it's derailed, they by greater and an overruling power are called to reckoning what deadly hate is there betwixt them. As they, we read of Judas and the wicked priests, and then show where is there greater love betwixt any than the cavaliering and drunken companions who will be called the only good fellows together. Do they not embrace each other as Joab did Abner in their armies when they go about their companionship? He's talking about young men cavaliering and drinking and carousing. He said, aren't they just the greatest of buddies? And yet, ere they arise from their ale bench, one of them stabbeth another. And as Joab thrust Abner through with his weapon, even while he embraced him. Call ye this love? It is a devilish love then which brings forth such fruits. Therefore let our beginnings and our attempts be always good, yea, and well followed also. Or else let us never look that the end of them shall be any better than these. Oh yes, comrades in evil. But Abimelech Joash, in this blessed fable, says, puts these words in the mouth of the bramble of the thistle. I'll burn down even the cedars of Lebanon. But now, our great orator on the Mount of Gerizim closes his noble address and turns his fable to their very hearts from his own heart. Verse 16, Now therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely in that ye have made Abimelech king, the fable is closed now, and Jotham is speaking to the people. If you've dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house and have done him according to the deservings of his hands, which they knew they had not. For my father fought for you and adventured his life far, delivered you out of the hand of Midian, and you've risen up against my father's house this day. You've slain his son three score and ten persons upon one stone. Made Abimelech the son of his maid servant king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech. Let him rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo. And let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. 
I would point out, especially in that reading, the translation again, verse 17, you have a marginal note in your King James Bible, for my father fought for you. He had ventured his life. The word literally means to throw down, to cast down. He threw down his life for you. Oh, here is a parenthetical of piercing power falling on their now stunned hearts. In Bush's words, if your conduct toward the house of Gideon can be justified at any bar of justice, honor, or conscience, then much good may you have of your new king. But if you have dealt basely and wickedly, then never expect to prosper at his hands. Oh, says Jotham, my father cast his life down for you. Bush addressing himself to this phrase said this, a metaphorical expression, highly significant, and requiring us to conceive that Gideon, while occupying a place of relative safety with his life unjeoparded and heroically resolves to throw it down as one would cast a spear directly toward the enemy into the midst of the peril. This he did when he fell with only 300 men on the multitude hosts of Midian through his life. And yet, yet such is the evil of their wicked hearts that they would rather embrace fire than sue for peace with God. Did you hear me? I said they'd rather embrace fire in their bosom than sue for peace with God. Such is the black darkness of the human heart. You wonder, you watch your news, you listen to your news, you read your paper, and you see the things that are voted in and voted through in our country, and you shake your head and you say, what can they be thinking? What can they be thinking? What can they be thinking doing this? And the answer is simply this, they'd rather embrace fire in their bosom than have God reign over them. That's the simple answer. So then now, what's to become of this glorious faith? and of its equally glorious application by this prince-turned-prophet. <laughs> well, verse 21 tells us, Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. Well, <laughs> such is the madness of evil in fallen men's hearts that as I said they'd rather embrace fire in their bosom than sue for peace with God and all of this animus will pour its venom on God's mouthpiece if it could you hear me? I said all of this animus will pour its venom on God's mouthpiece if it could Interesting, there's a threefold description given here. Jotham, Jotham is said to run, he ran away. The word ran means to rush with speed. And then it says he fled, that is to bolt out, to put to flight. And then it says he went, that is to bring away, to depart. So there's a threefold description. He ran. He fled. He went. In a word, can I just wrap it up and say, he needed to get out of there quick. <laughs> he ran. <laughs> sure he did. He ran. He fled. He went. Got out of there What's to happen to this 
What's to happen to this prince turned prophet? What's to happen to this glorious fable and its equally glorious application? Well, the mouthpiece had to run. Let us not delude ourselves in belief that the world will be pleased with our calling to them to repentance. They will not. So then what may we learn? Great and many lessons. God willing, we'll take it up next. Turn with me again. Your hymn book. Number 393. And stand with me please. 393. Great God with wonder and with praise On all thy works I look But still thy wisdom, power and grace Shine brightest in thy book Great God with wonder and with praise on all thy works I look but still thy wisdom power and grace shine brightest in thy book here are my choicest treasures here here my best comfort lies, here my desires are satisfied, and here my hopes arise. Lord, make me understand thy law, show what my faults have been. And from thy gospel let me draw the pardon of my sin.